Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is my post-first round assessment podcast. Now, for those of you all who follow me on different types of social media, I posted a video of my immediate response to what I saw in the first round, straight from the facility. This is being done on Friday, April 28th. Uh, So I've had a little bit of time to think about the moves and the assessment of how I felt about the teams. At the time when I did it yesterday at the facility, I just went off the top of the dome, just real initial reaction, literally right after the draft ended, people were doing TV spots, stuff like that. And I just jumped in there and did about a three and a half minute video of how I felt about stuff. So what I'm going to do today is just give an assessment, less grades, like I don't really believe in, we'll get into that in a second, but I don't really like giving legitimate grades, but I do like discussing what I judge these on as far as like how I feel about them. Each pick and try to go through the mindset of each uh, team, knowing what I saw yesterday. There's a lot of trades, movement, things like that. And I'm sure that teams were getting, uh, you know, a little flustered with what seems like a long time when you're watching 15 minutes, but when you're making million dollar decisions for a billion dollar team, uh, 15 minutes is no time. So uh, for those of you all who are new to uh, following me in the pod, um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at CJ Florida nine. It's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out in the number nine. Um, And by the way, yesterday on Twitter, I did do my version of Uh, draft assessment where is during the night of the draft I try to predict the pick that's coming up knowing everything that I know at the time knowing who's been selected the team that moved up kind of the logic behind it and even though I didn't do well on that per se as far as I don't even have my count didn't look at it didn't do my count I'll do it on Twitter eventually uh, in the next couple of days but I know that I didn't get a a large hit rate Uh, 17 was my record for a hit rate I probably got about 10, maybe 12 at the most, probably closer to 10. But one thing I did notice when I was doing it is I got the position right a lot of times, just not the player, you know. Um, So I understood their mindset, where they were going. And to me, that's pretty important, even if I don't hit on the exact player. But without further ado, we're going to get into the assessment of each pick in the first round, all 31 of them. All right, folks. So we're going to start off with the first pick of the draft. The Carolina Panthers had that. And they took Bryce Young, quarterback out of Alabama. A lot of talk prior to the draft, a lot of talk going into the the draft, all this stuff about who's going to be the quarterback. You know, Carolina moved up pretty decisively and their owner, David Tepper. Don't know what you think about him. Really, whatever. He probably doesn't care. I'll just give my opinion on him from this perspective. That guy actually goes after what he wants. You know, some owners just kind of sit back, whatever. This guy gets involved. He does things and makes decisions. And I can uh, I can appreciate that. Even if I don't agree on every move, I can appreciate someone who says, you know what, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to make it happen, etc." So I felt very strongly that the number one quarterback in this draft is Bryce Young. Uh, the only guy that was comparable as far as a grade was Anthony Richardson because of his immense upside. But I thought that C.J. Stroud was good and, in fact, really good, but just not on the level of Bryce Young's football acumen and on the level of the talent that Anthony Richardson can offer from an upside perspective. So Bryce Young was the only logical choice here for me Uh, and Frank Wright and that organization agreed. They took Bryce Young. What it's going to do for them is the following. So think about it like this. I understand if they were playing in Buffalo and they took Bryce Young at number one overall, and this is without Josh Allen existing before people lose their minds an environment where he didn't exist. There might be an argument against Bryce Young. I have not seen him play a lot of games in really cold weather uh, situations. He's a little smaller. He's 5'10", probably 195, and is a true playing weight when he gets in the NFL that first year. Because he will, by the way, folks. I don't care what you want to say. He's going to put on some grown man weight. It's just going to happen. That first year is going to be whatever, but by the age of 25, he's going to be over 200 pounds and like legitimately grown man weight. But he's playing in Carolina. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he's going to be playing his home games. It's pretty temperate. Even when it gets cold, it's not stupid cold. So that's two games a year, right? As far as like 
sorry, at least eight games a year in Charlotte, sometimes nine with a 17 game schedule. So let's look at his divisional foes. He's going to play one game in Atlanta, dome. One game in New Orleans, dome. One game in Tampa, doesn't get that cold. So now you're up to anywhere between 11 and 12 games that he's going to be playing in pretty ideal temperatures, no matter what the year time of the year is. Then no matter where he's playing, it's probably going to be ideal temperatures the first half of the year. What I'm getting to is he's playing in almost the best possible scenario for his size and the weather conditions, etc. He's a stabilizing force whose numbers only get better when this guy is put into stress situations. Like I didn't even know these numbers till yesterday. His QBR, his completion percentage, all these numbers go up when this guy is under pressure and they go up when he's trailing in a game. And that Texas game was a good example. He didn't play well until he was asked to play well and he came through as he always does. You have to take that guy at number one because that's what you want in a quarterback more than anything else is a guy who's going to show up when you, when you actually need it. All right. Number two, here's where things got dicey and interesting. And by dicey, I mean, I was doing my draft selections and I fell for the banana in the tailpipe, but we'll get there in a second of Will Anderson being the number two overall pick. So I posted that and, you know, they got the trolls on Twitter and it's okay. I can deal with them. They weren't rude. It was just more of a, you know, whatever. Uh, But yeah, they did not take Will Anderson at number two. In fact, they took CJ Stroud. This selection made sense for him. C.J. Stroud is a really good quarterback. I called him a soup up. I call him a souped up Jared Goff, and people think that's an insult. People forget this. Why was Jared Goff drafted number one overall? Even though, to me, I didn't think he was the number one overall pick that year. He wasn't even my number one quarterback, though he did have a similar grade. In fact, virtually the same grade as my number one quarterback that year, Dak Prescott. When there's not pressure, that guy hits his targets. He's super super accurate and go through his progressions does a great job he's just limited in certain ways arm strength he was limited cj stroud actually has a strong arm he's limited from a perspective of being able to move and run cj stroud actually has that athleticism to do it and he struggles a bit against the blitz cj stroud also struggles he's a little better than jared Goff because of that athleticism and strong arm but that's not that part of his game where he's successful so he got a lower grade than the guy that went in front of him. But I thought this was a good pick for Houston. Houston got a balancing force. A young man who is dedicated. I think he's the second youngest quarterback that was draft eligible this year. Uh, in the entire draft with Anthony Richardson, the only one being younger than him. So, great pick. Here's where Houston did the thing. And I say kudos to you all. Seriously, Nick Casario, you know, new head coach uh, D'Amico Ryans. They hopped up from 12 to get Will Anderson Jr. So even though technically I was wrong, I wasn't wrong. Part of what they wanted to do, and I said this about Will Anderson, I don't think Will Anderson's going to end up being a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's Vaughn Miller or anyone like that. That's not an insult. I think that he is a possible to probable pro bowler. I think that he's a guy that on his worst day is still going to be an NFL starting defensive end. I think that he has... He's just not like, he's not a Nick Bosa. And you know how I feel on a personal level about Nick, how Nick Bosa gets down. One thing that you also know is that boy can, well, man now, he can play his tail off. Will Anderson is not Nick Bosa, but guess what he is? That dude's going to show up to, air, to work every day, get the job done, really move forward, and he's going to be a stabilizing force on that defense, even at a young age. So they got two studs. Two top 10 caliber guys in this draft class, in my opinion, with with those with those picks at two and three, which some people were like, oh, the Colts panicked at four by taking Anthony Richardson. Here's what I have to say to that based on who that coach is and not even working with Jalen, Jalen Hurts, not even that more. So this guy said, y'all give me that molded clay that honestly is more polished than people want to give him credit for. Uh, Give me that clay mold. And I'll make it happen. Anthony Richardson, as we went through this draft process, and I already saw the physical talents. I've seen the things that he does wrong on tape, etc. I can give you a low light tape of anyone who you think has ever been good at anything in life. I can give you a low light tape of Michael Jordan or Patrick Mahomes. Trust me, everyone has a low light tape. Now, 
people want to ignore the truth. And here's the truth. This guy's born in 1990, uh, 2002. Yeah, 2002. Sorry, did math poorly. Born in 2002. He's not even 21 yet. Guy has a lot of learning to do because he's 20 years old. 13 starts. Usually don't get offered the chance to make adjustments at the line. Usually don't get the chance to to make adjustments to what was called and make side adjustments, things like that. You don't get that chance at that stage of your career unless the coach knows you are extremely intelligent and have a good feel for the game. He's got things to work on, of course, but those things are more readily fixed than some of the guys who've come out who, let's just say, had more issues than people want to, to to give them credit for having. So we're going to stop there and go with Bryce Young. I think Houston knocked that out of the park. I mean, Carolina knocked that out of the park. Excuse me. Getting a guy that I think is a stabilizing force for him who could be their quarterback for a long time. As a Saints fan, not pleased at all. Houston definitely knocked that out of the park because they've got guys that they can actually make cornerstones of the franchise early on in D'Amico Ryan's career. So we want to give out grades, they get an extremely high one. And then Anthony Richardson here, also a high one. I had a, a, a guy who I know who is a Colts fan who, you know, fell for the hype and the rhetoric and all this stuff about Anthony Richardson being a poor quarterback. Hey, he's a fan. I'm not going to get mad at him. What I'll tell him, and I'll tell all you Colts fans, you're in a good position. You're actually in a better position than you were at multiple stages over the last couple of years. A guy in Matt Ryan who honestly was more cash than I realized. And a guy in Carson Wentz who I realized exactly what was going to happen. Unfortunately, they didn't. So, we're going to go to number five. Now, this is one where it got a little interesting to me because I do like Devin Weatherspoon. <sighs> Cornerback out of Illinois going to Seattle. I do like him. I like the way he plays. To me, he's a defensive back. I don't think he's a cornerback from the perspective of he's not going to go out there and lock guys down. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I just didn't see that. He's also not a safety because the instincts that he has do not speak to being a safety. They speak to straight hunt. To me, he is a movable piece. You can move him into the to the nickel position and you can bring him on a blitz. You can uh, move him outside and have him play the boundary corner. You can move him back to kind of a box safety, but a little bit further back and have him play a little bit of a safety role, but it's a hybrid role. Uh, the comp with the guys that I was on with last night was he's an upgraded Mike Hilton. That's not an insult. Mike Hilton balling out there uh, in Cincinnati. So it was an interesting pick because I didn't think they would go that route. But what I think Seattle was trying to do is say, who do we play in a division with? Oh, yeah, we play in a division with a guy who likes to run this zone run scheme in Los Angeles. Oh, we play in a division with a team that is run heavy, and they like to run a lot of games where they want to affect the middle linebacker. Guess what? Middle linebacker and our inside linebackers will have an easier job if you have a guy playing a nickel against that situation that just attacks, right? Make sure that those short passes and little pop passes can be taken care of. I like this pick once I thought more about it. I give it a high grade because I think what they knew is they know their division and he's going to be effective against the teams in their division. All right, moving on to number six, Arizona traded back uh, in this position where they've traded back with Houston and then traded up um, with the Detroit Lions to take Paris Johnson Jr., offensive tackle, uh, out of Ohio State. This is the first time I'm going to say this. I wasn't a fan of the decision. The reason being is it feels like they're drafting the same guy over and over again, and they didn't need to move up to do this. That's just my opinion. They did this with DJ Humphreys out of the University of Florida. Here's what they would say and be positive I could say about it. What they wanted to do is get a guy who's versatile enough to play either tackle. He's probably more of a, uh, be more successful on the right side in the NFL, but he can play the left tackle. They just wanted to get a stabilizing force there. They liked his talent and ability for when Kyler Murray does come back. No matter what scheme they play in, especially if he's at right tackle, he would be effective in my opinion. So that's what they seem to be thinking. That's why this is not a, a, a terrible decision. It's not even a poor decision. To me, it is something I wouldn't do, but I understand the logic behind it. 
Moving on to number seven, the Las Vegas Raiders stay put and they got Tyree Wilson, defensive end at Texas Tech. Now, I discussed this. I like the upside of Tyree Wilson immensely. I think he has Hall of Fame upside. That physical ability is dumb. That dude is built like something on Madden. Um, but he only flashed and he didn't flash as much as he could have. So I understand people who are purists who are looking for a certain type of pass rusher. He, he, he profiles to a five tech, which you don't take a five tech that early, but I think that he has the ability to play more than just a five tech. Some guys, and we're going to talk about them later. I think that's just what they do. I think Tyree Wilson actually has the, the chance to expand his game and the Raiders can sell this guy. The Raiders are looking, they're in Las Vegas. You get this dude in, this guy, if you're not going to bring in a quarterback, you can sell the hell out of this guy. So I understand why they took this pick. It's not a knockout of the park, but it's also not a not a really poor choice. Now, here's a knockout of the park. And I actually said it on my last pod, and it wasn't a joke. It was something that I would do if I was the GM. And I meant this when I said it. I would give Arthur Smith what he covets, what he wants. He wants a running back to get the job done. People thought he was looking for the next Derrick Henry. He was looking for a competent runner who honestly could take the punishment if for some reason he missed the hole or whatever. Bijan Dam Robinson going to the Atlanta Falcons. I'll start here and this will let you know what grade or how I feel about this goes. As a Saints fan, this is horrifying. I want nothing to do with this. Bijan Robinson is so smooth in his transitions, such a good running back in space that his lack of uber level explosiveness like a Jameer Gibbs or a Devon A. Jane doesn't matter. This dude's going to get 10 yards of carry. He's not going to average that, but he'll get 10 yards of carry when he shouldn't, when he should get five or three. He's going to score touchdowns when he should be stopped in the backfield. Like, this is horrifying. And I want to say this. I understand the positional value ideal or when it comes to uh, first-round running backs. Top five, because of the structure of the compacts and that you're sl- of, of the contracts and that you're slotted at that position, meaning the number one pick gets paid the, more than the number two, then the number three, the number four, etc. If they're in the top five, you have to compare it to their contemporaries, other running backs. So coming here at the number eight pick, and I did not do the research on this yet because honestly, I don't give a damn about doing the research on this yet. He's probably going to make as much as, let's say, about the sixth or seventh best running back as far as pay goes in the NFL. Do you think that Bijan Robinson is going to step in and be one of the six or seven best running backs in the NFL? Um, yeah, real good opportunity because that team's going to use him and his talent says yes. Number two, usually, and this is what people say when they want to make a bad point, but hear me out. Well, these running backs who make money, like the people who are paid in the top five, only like two or three of them are worth it. It's because they didn't get paid on the front end because you've artificially devalued the position by selecting them lower, then using them up. So when they're actually getting paid on that second contract, they don't have the legs to do it anymore. You should be doing what this team's doing, paying him effectively on this first deal because he's going to produce like a top five or so running back. It's super simple to me, but maybe I just understand how economics work. Now, you understand that the valuation has said that running backs should be lower because you can, quote unquote, get them wherever. But that's not exactly accurate. It is easier to get a running back off the street to perform than a quarterback off the street. But you're not getting high level production off the street unless you put that person on the street. So anyway, Bijan Robinson going at eight makes a lot of sense. If he went at one, I can understand we could have a conversation about the finances attached to that. But this is number eight. So pump your damn brakes. All right. Number nine, the Philadelphia Eagles traded up to be the Philadelphia Eagles. At this point, you remember how they talked about Danny Ainge uh, in basketball at Boston? He was always fleecing people. I don't even think that Howie Roseman is fleecing people. Howie Roseman is just on his in his bag and on his game. Look, this might sound like I'm tooting my own horn. Well, toot, damn toot. Harry Roseman thinks like me. People make mistakes. In a competitive market, you should take advantage of their mistakes. If I'm playing poker, I'm taking advantage of your mistakes. 
If we're in real life and we're just hanging out, I'm going to take advantage of you. We're not competing. So in this competition, Howie Roseman is much better than other people. You know why? Because his staff himself, that organization, understands that other organizations, not all, not even most, but some consistently make mistakes. Well, sir, I'm going to drop 50 on you. And that's what he did by getting Jalen Carter. Whatever you all want to say, you want to talk about the workout, you want to talk about the pro day. I was so proud of him, and I'm not going to blow too much smoke here, but I'm just going to say I am proud of him, and I'm proud of Nick Sirianni for a reporter trying to do their job, right? This reporter might not have been doing this just for himself, but asking about how Jalen Carter reacted to the questions about what happened with the, the street racing. People keep forgetting that these people are human. A person that this person knew died from an activity where they were being clowns. You know why they're being clowns? Because they're 20 and 21. They're in college. It's not ideal, but it's not like they were going out there and committing like they did something dumb and something terrible happened. A real person was affected by this. Not enough people are asking how that young man is doing and if he's okay. And it sounds like because Howie Roseman and at this stage also Nick Sirianni, kudos to him too, understand that people are people. I wish you would too. So for the skeptics who think Jalen Carter is going to be whatever because of his pro day, glad you don't assess football. And if you do, maybe you shouldn't. For those who say it's tape, didn't justify his selection I say okay just show me and we can do that and maybe you're right but at least you're talking about what matters here the football of it give this man some grace allow him to be a young adult who had a terrible thing happen that he unfortunately was involved in not the cause of and stop being so ridiculous so we're going to run through this a little more Chicago Bears traded back. So to me, obviously, I think that the Eagles did an exceptional job trading up. The the Chicago Bears traded back, picking up more draft capital, getting Darnell Wright, right tackle out of Tennessee. Look, let's go ahead and say it right now. By positional value, this was a reach. By the associated talent, because people like me, like I had a second round grade on them, whatever. Do I matter? No. It was a reach. But guess what? This states that They're trying to invest in the protection of their young franchise quarterback, Justin Fields. It also says we were also willing to probably take him at nine, but we're able to get another player or two, because I didn't look at the details of the deal, to get him at 10. To me, this is an excellent move. Because again, every person on the planet has been wrong about something. Maybe this dude is a Hall of Famer. But the number one thing is the intent to get protection for their franchise quarterback is there. And they also picked up an extra draft pick or two to do so. Kudos to the Bears. You're doing a great job. Next team stayed put and also took an offensive lineman, Peter Skaronsky, out of Northwestern. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Do I think that he was a first round player? I do not. That's not where I had him. He is not Rashawn Slater. Guess what he is? He's a Tennessee Titan. That guy's going to step in and he's going to be a starter on day one. And he is a perfect fit in what Mike Vrabel wants to do over there. At the end of the day, that's what matters. He's going to go to an organization that really wanted him. And whether he went at 11 or, again, this is not John Madden football where you can design for the, the, the freaking computer to trade you back to 20 so you get more positional value. No, it took him at 11. Fine with it. It's a perfect fit for them. And that's what matters. Because I want to talk quickly about the next guy at 12. The Detroit Lions selected Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, the running back. They said they were comfortable, reports at least, that they would have been fine taking him at six. Okay. Like literally, okay. Same thing here. Emory Hunt, guy who I, you know, respect. Guy that I work with. Had him as his number one running back. Game changer. Why are you all so mad that running backs are going? 
high and not even like exceptionally high. They didn't go one and two back to back like in 1993 or hell, 1999 when we had running backs going to the top five, two of them. No, he went 12th. He's going to end up being somewhere around the, the 11th or 10th highest paid running back. And that's off the top of my head. That's not accurate. Might be a little higher, might be a little lower, most likely. Dude has the talent to be a top five running back in the NFL. I don't think it's going to happen, but guess what? I think Detroit just wanted a dude who's going to make you not sleep well as a defensive coordinator before you play them. Because this dude can not only fly, but he's mad versatile. And once he realizes, at least in my opinion, he needs to play less like Alvin Kamara and more like Jamal Charles and just explode, yo, good luck. Cancel Christmas. All right. So, high grade on that one. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers taking Lucas Van Ness, who I guessed properly based on just Green Bay Packers. I like the guy's motor. That shouldn't be what you say about the 13th pick. That's it. Like, I like his motor. Is it his fault? No. That dude goes out there and tries his butt off. And congratulations to him for going 13th overall. Not enough people are actually doing that. They're too busy saying how terrible something is or how awful this is and booing and giving a D grade. And no. Good for him. That dude did a good enough job to go 13th overall in an NFL draft. Now, from an assessment standpoint, I think that he's more of a one-trick pony. Straight power moves from the interior. Not going to work. Hopefully, in hell, I have nothing against this guy. And also, I know that this guy probably is a hard worker. You know why? He went to freaking Iowa. He'll probably learn a counter move or two. Was this a reach? To me, absolutely. Was this a Green Bay Packers like pick? Also, absolutely. It's okay. Go do what you do, young man. And I hope you improve your game enough to justify this and kick tail in the NFL. All right, we're going to move on to the next pick. Trading up to the 14th pick with the New England Patriots was the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they got Broderick Jones out of Georgia incomplete grade and I don't mean that from an actual grading perspective of like the assessment of his talent the talent's there in fact he's damn good offensive tackle the incomplete is from the perspective of what is he gonna do for them very limited film 16 games not too few but not too many so I'm hoping that he comes in there he's probably gonna end up playing right tackle um and not get slotted in the guard. I doubt he's going to get shoved in the guard. In fact, I'm pretty so- pretty confident he's going to end up playing right tackle. Um, and yeah, I think he fits kind of the mold of what Pittsburgh wants to do. They want to get back to low ground and pound and play that damn defense. Because they know, based on what they have, especially quarterback and things like that, they're not designed to outscore you. So what they want to do is bludgeon you. Play great defense, be opportunistic, and then bludgeon you. So, I think it's a really good pick. I like the pursuit of actually moving up. Steelers are notorious for not doing this. They are notorious for standing pat. So, this shows you that they really value this guy and they have a plan of action for him. Kudos to them. 15th pick. New York Jets went with Will McDonald the fourth. Defensive end. He's going to play an outside linebacker. Also, like this, this, this whole variance thing. But he's out of Iowa State. Everyone's bashing this, and you got to get off at the tackle for Aaron Rodgers. Me, personally, I mocked in my personal mock of how I did it on my show yesterday. I mocked an offensive tackle. Guess what they didn't do? They didn't reach. I respect this approach, by the way. Their approach is, yo, we got these needs over here. Okay, anyone on the board that's actually of the value here that fits the needs? No. But this dude who we had a top 10 grade on is still here at 15. What do we do? You take that joker, unless he's a quarterback and you already have a quarterback, you take that joker because guess what you can do? You already have a great receiver. You can have two now. You already have two great pass rushers. Nothing wrong with having three. I, I commend them in taking a guy that was high on their board and saying, we'll just throw multiple pass rushers at you so none of them get tired. So commendable there. I'm not giving a negative grade. In fact, I'm giving a positive grade. Part of it is off of sticking to your guns and attitude. I do really like this. Moving on to the next pick. 
Sting and Pat was the Washington Commanders, and they took Emmanuel Forbes out of Mississippi State. This one was interesting to me because I think they went with the following. Like, Emmanuel Forbes is criminally undersized. You know, size is not a skill, but there is there is a point, right? I think he's like six six foot and a half, almost six one. 166 pounds. That's his actual weight in time. Uh, weight in weight. Jeez. Light in the pants. But this dude pursues the ball. Yo, he high points, goes after. It's weird. If he weighed even 20 pounds more, this dude would have been a top five pick. Like, that's the type of skill he has. And I know the thirst for certain positions. Obviously, quarterback, but also uh, rush end also cornerback and offensive tackle like there's certain positions where there's like this thirst for them because they do have certain values to them okay i was fine with it good for them he's gonna he's gonna cover up a lot of things back there that they had issues with at corner what william jackson they thought was going to be for them because they miscast him forwards will probably be so good pick at 17 new england said and Look, the ultimate value pick that also made sense for him. Christian Gonzalez, cornerback out of Oregon. Man, this dude's the number one corner in the draft. Joker smooth. Now, again, I had Devin Witherspoon drafted him ahead of Christian Gonzalez in my mock. Notice I put the notation of defensive back on him. Christian Gonzalez is a corner. This is gonna this is a dude who can develop into a all pro caliber shutdown corner. And he goes to Bill Belichick. And get out of here. All right, moving on to 18. The Detroit Lions took Jack Campbell, linebacker out of Iowa. Okay. Do I think this was a reach? You're damn right I do. I think he was more of a late day two, early day three pick. Guess what I have to say about this? For the people who said, and yes, theoretically I'd say the same. Well, they should have traded back, gotten more value. Who's to say they didn't think they needed to? Maybe they tried to. You know what? They might have gotten offers that said, oh, we'll trade back to the 27th pick. for." That's a long way, right? Because there's a lot of variance on those nine picks at this stage of the draft. There's not a lot of, there's more dart throws up here. So I do give them a, a level of credit of taking their guy. Jack Campbell is far from a bad football player. Again, even with my grade, being a late third round pick, early fourth round pick, you know that's the top 100 players who play in all of college football, right? Simple math on that. So they said that yeah, we'll pay a little quote unquote extra money to get a dude who's going to fit our scheme. An interior, like an inside linebacker who honestly just shoots downhill. They can, they can utilize him in the kind of bare front setup where they allow some people to just Stand up, like that predator situation. And you don't know who the hell is coming. And if he actually comes, it's not a, oh my goodness, he came and like he gets, pause. Um, he, he came on a blitz and he just got pushed down. No, this dude's going to come through. So Dan Campbell and company, I'm not mad at you. Sometimes, like you don't understand 15 minutes to make decisions. This was one of the guys they had on their board that they thought was of value. They might have tried to trade down a couple of spots and get some value, but guess what? It wasn't happening. I'm not mad at them for taking them. So we're going to move on to the 19th pick. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers here took Kalaja Kansi out of Pittsburgh, a defensive tackle, undersized tackle. Based on positional value, and I'm just saying this from the quarterback perspective, I figured they would go Will Levis or Hendon Hooker or something like that, right? But just the thought process. The two running backs that I think that they have with high grades are off the board, right? Also, Kansi's a really good football player. Stop the, the foolishness with comparing him to Aaron Donald. They are not the same, Okay. Kansas got more like Puna Forte's game with how he plays. He's just smaller. It's he's going to be a good complement next to Galavita Bear. Period. They will be hard to block because this dude is slippery and slithery. Undersized, but when you got a dude that big that he's playing next to, guess what has to happen? 
I double teams. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to beat the crap out of a guard and get past him. He'll probably end up with some sacks if he's a starter. End up with like 11 sacks as a rookie from the defensive tackle position. And you'll be confused talking about underrated. He should have gone top 10. Or maybe you shouldn't. Shit. Shit. So, I thought this was a pretty good draft. draft uh, I actually think the NFC South as a whole did an excellent job, but we'll get to that later. This is the lowest graded one if I was grading out of all the players picked in the NFC South. That being said, the other three knocked it out of the park. This one was a triple. All right, moving on to the 20th pick. Jackson Smith and Jigba for the Seattle Seahawks wide receiver out of Ohio State. I thought this was a good marriage. In fact, I mocked him to them. Like, I literally, it was like, you know, it was just a good mix. And when I was doing my assessment earlier, uh, uh, not earlier, but when I was doing it during the draft, I actually didn't do what I was supposed to do, which was mock him appropriately to that team. Basically, it was a, oh, should I have looked at my list and just said, maybe I should take the guy that I suggest they should take since he's still on the board. No, I did it poorly. Um, but this is a great addition because Tyler Lockett is not an interior receiver. He's an exterior receiver who you can line up on the interior sometimes. DK Metcalf, also exterior receiver who can be utilized like an F receiver, an inside big body receiver. But this guy is a guy who will eat in the slot. Geno Smith now has a check down that will always be open because of the two guys on the outside and also this guy's talent. So, great job. They're not just run heavy, ground and pound. What they are now is a versatile offense. Dolphins, unfortunately, forfeited their pick. So, the Los Angeles Chargers are now on the clock at 21. And they took Quentin Johnson, Johnston, a wide receiver out of TCU. I think this was an excellent pick. It actually kind of fooled me because I thought they were going to go Jordan Addison at this stage, thinking that they were going to replace Keenan Allen. What they did was they took a guy who struggles to do certain things, struggles to get off bump press, struggles to catch the ball downfield. Guess what he's going to do (laughs) now? Learn from guys who are really good at doing these things how to do them better. He doesn't need to be the number one. A lot of teams would have picked him and he would have been their X receiver, even though he's more of a Z in my opinion. Um, And he would have been forced into being something he's not yet. Now he still has more time to develop. With a strong arm quarterback who can get the ball down the field, that wasn't Max Duggan. Justin Herbert will be able to do that. This was a great addition for them um, to to bring along and nurture a guy so that Keenan Allen and Mike... Mike Williams have huge cap hits over the next two years. Um, Quentin Johnson, Johnston gives them uh, some flexibility. But again, there was a run on receivers. There was a third one taken. 22 overall, the Baltimore Ravens took Zay Flowers, my number one wide receiver. My comp for him is Brandon Cooks. And yo, now you have Lamar Jackson with a pass-friendly, great at scheming up deep ball offense coordinator Odell Beckham Jr. who no matter what you want to say you have to respect because guess what he's going to do make that third down catch Rashad Bateman who to me is a number two some people call him a number one I think he's a number one on a decent team I think he's a really really high-end number two um, in this particular situation and he can eat Zay Flowers to me again is a Brandon Cooks this dude whew Baltimore Ravens about to start cooking, folks. I might have been a couple of years too early on their Super Bowl uh, journey. Um, But yeah, great addition. Knocked it out of the park. Number 23 pick in the fourth receiver in a row taken is Jordan Addison for the Minnesota Vikings. This made too much sense. Um, It did make too much sense. They're replacing Adam Thielen with a guy who is a younger, better Adam Thielen. Like, obviously, Adam Thielen at the height of his NFL career was a better receiver than Jordan Addison. Because he was also a grown man who was an NFL vet. This guy's going to come in. He's going to play that Z receiver. He's going to be really good at it. KJ Osborne can play kind of a natural role on the other side. And at a quote-unquote X, let Justin Jefferson play in the slot. Those two guys can shift off. Also, Addison can play in the slot. There's a lot of versatility and flexibility here that Jordan Addison provides. 
undersized, not that fast uh, compared to his contemporaries. Guess what? Damn good receiver. Catches the ball quite a bit. So that's where you need to go. Number 24, the New York Giants took Deontay Banks, cornerback out of Maryland. I think this is a great addition. Uh, one of my friends was actually, um, we were talking about it. He's a, he's a Giants fan, and he uh, has a dog named Ringo. So he was hoping that Keely Ringo, who they can still take, uh, by the way, um, would have been a selection for them at some point because it would be cool for him to get a Ringo jersey for his dog. All right. I think that's, that's a cool fan story to me. Like, awesome stuff. From the football side, you wanted this guy. Trust me. Uh, just a better corner at this stage of their careers doesn't mean forever. Ringo clearly has talent. But Deontay Banks is what was desperately needed in that secondary for the Giants. Um, I think that they're going to be really good this year with a guy of this caliber playing defense. He can play on an island. Played a lot of man-to-man press coverage, probably more than anyone in, in the country. And that's what he does. And in this defense, he's going to need to do so. So great addition for the Giants, who did a did a good job getting talent on the offensive side of the ball in free agency. Now it looks like they're tech, attacking the needs on the defensive side in the draft. 25th pick, the Buffalo Bills take Dalton Kincaid, tight end out of Utah. I think this was a great addition for them. You know, Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox is what Dawson Knox has been. A guy with physical ability who can do a lot of stuff. I think he was a baseball player at one point in time. I played like quarterback or something like that. I might be mistaking him for someone else. But what I'm saying about this is Dawson Knox has not come to the forefront to be a high-level tight end. But he's still able to be a tight end. This gives Dalton Kincaid the chance to develop into what they need him to be. He can be a high-level NFL tight end as it's used now. Not an inline guy an adequate blocker who is a matchup nightmare on the interior. And hopefully this says that they can use more double tight end sets. They need to change the scheme for need to change the scheme for Josh Allen. So he's not running so much. Maybe this points to them doing that. So I think this was a good addition. Now here's one that's confusing to me, but I understood the logic behind it. I'm sitting there and I'm going to say this body language means a lot. So does facial expressions, tone and tenor. Watching the body language and facial expressions of the Dallas Cowboys war room, it was different from when like CeeDee Lamb was on the board, where everyone was just super happy the whole time. This looked like some people in that room were having a very severe disagreement about who to take. And they took Mozzie Smith, nose tackle out of Michigan. They do have their struggles against the run. They know they're going to be playing the Philadelphia Eagles. They're going to be playing against San Francisco 49ers if they're in the playoffs. They're going to be playing against all these teams. Got to play against the Giants with Saquon Barkley. Does it feel like a reach? Absolutely. Guess what? Maybe part of the reason that they had these discussions, there are other people who they wanted to take, and they weren't getting offers for a move up so that they could take this guy. These things are complicated. Again, it's kind of like, I'll just make it for some of you all pretty easy. If you're in a snake draft and you have the first pick in the draft and you get to 20, 24 in a 12 team draft and 25, there might be a guy at 25 that you take that's really 36, but you're not going to get that guy in your next pick. So you take him. People are like, oh, you reached. I wasn't going to get him on my next pick. So had to hear they weren't going to get Smith in their opinion on the next pick. It was quite possible, in my opinion. But that being said, they knew the guy that they wanted and they went after him. I understand the logic because they needed to stop the run. And this guy will help stop the run. At 27, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Anton Harrison. I, I predicted this one based on who was on the board and they needed an offensive tackle. Um, Cam Robinson is probably going to end up being suspended for some games because of uh, PEDs. That's speculation at this point because it hasn't happened officially, but... That is likely considering that it is something that pops up. This always happens. If it pops up, it's likely to happen. Uh, I think this is going to be a good addition to them and for them. I feel like they were going to go tight end here, but this is a fairly deep-ish tight end class. What I mean by that is people are like, oh, there's so many starting tight ends. Man, there's going to be like three dudes from this draft class who are going to be NFL starters. Because this happens. 
Tight ends generally don't progress quickly and start quickly. And by the time that some of these dudes get the chance to be starters, other dudes who are established will keep their job because that's what they do. And these guys are going to end up being secondary tight ends. And then the next class comes in and so on. So they figure they can get a tight end later, but they can't get this offensive lineman later who's going to be more effective for them. So I think they did a good job. Moving on to the teams that I feel like Three in a row knocked it out of the park for them. The Cincinnati Bengals taking Miles Murphy, defensive end out of Clemson. That was a great addition for a team that really needed a rush and really needed to bolster that defense. Yes, secondary, especially safety, is something they need to attack. This isn't the strongest safety class from a grade perspective, so they feel like they can get one later. They went with a guy who was a clear first-round pick. So, good job by them. They know who they're playing against. They know that Patrick Mahomes exists. They know that Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and the rest of these guys exist. Good job. Speaking of Clemson, the New Orleans Saints, my doggone New Orleans Saints, did the job getting Brian Brzee out of Clemson, a defensive tackle. That was actually Emory Hunt's number one defense tackle. He's my number two. This dude is super active. Like He can play against the run, but at the end of the day, yo, this dude is a menace against guards yo the handwork get in the backfield always moving always going can win one-on-ones <clears throat> if Jalen Carter didn't exist this would be an easy number one guy um I'm very very happy as a Saints fan and you all should be too this guy unless something happens from an injury perspective knock on wood um he should be able to get the job done and be very productive putting in minutes as a rookie so really high grade there and then the philadelphia eagles and howie roseman i talked about it earlier and this dude just does work he eats he's out here just making sure you you hate what he does this man is building the gobots like he's building voltron out here recreating the doggone 2021 georgia bulldogs national championship team with freaking every georgia bulldog he got nolan smith at 30 Man, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. That's just frustrating. (sighs) Kudos to you, Philadelphia. And congratulations to Eagles fans on this Super Bowl that's going to happen unless everyone gets injured. And then at 31, the team that honestly is the only team in the NFL that truly in a one-on-one scenario can beat you because of that bad man, Patrick Mahomes. Went with Felix and Aduki Azuma. Defensive end out of Kansas State. Man, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to a former Kansas State defensive end, former Kansas State offensive lineman, um, and it just made too much sense. You got the local product, the Kansas City Chiefs, super active, got the handwork to go opposite, you know, because Frank Clark's probably not going to end up being part of this team for much longer. So you got the handwork to go opposite of a guy in. Karloftis, who Karloftis is that, I don't want to call him a technician to make it seem like he just does everything right and that's all he is in his game, but his game is more like jack of all trades, holds up well against the run, can't get to the quarterback also, like all these things, he does all of it well, now they have a guy who's going to get to the quarterback, like this, they're just setting up. Like, you don't realize what Kansas City's doing. They're over here doing things on a cheap, quote-unquote, on that defensive side of the ball, and that defense is just out here eating. So I like this pick for him because he kept it local. They got a really active guy. And, again, quote-unquote, a reach based on people's grades. Man, everyone's a reach to someone in the first round, especially when you're picking at 31. It's just true. Barring something like Nolan Smith, which some people would even say he's a reach. I don't know who, but I'm just using it as an example. There's always going to be people who think you reached. And then four years from now, if this dude is a perennial pro bowler, it's going to be a big thing. Hell, Aaron Donald went 13th overall, folks. I'm I'm just saying. So, all in all, I said it on Twitter last night. I said it today. This is one of the best and most well-constructed drafts top to bottom by all the teams based on literally the tape 
and the production and also just the qualities of how they assessed. Were there some guys who were a little higher than I thought they should go? Sure. But I think as a whole, the NFL did one of the best jobs they've ever done. And there's one guy I want to address right now, again, just on the back end, and I hope that he goes early tonight. I feel like Will Levis got fed a bag, uh, uh, like a sack of, of a, I don't even know what the doggone adage is right now, a bill of goods. I feel bad for him. And the reason I feel bad for him is that man really started to believe that he was going to be a top five pick. So I feel bad for him. I think he's probably going to go properly assessed. I made a, I made a comment earlier in the football season when Kentucky and Florida played. And I said this, and it was hyperbolic, but not really. I said, now there's a top five pick in Anthony Richardson. At the time, I didn't fully believe it, but I thought he was 1,000% a first-round pick, definitely top half of the first, uh, draft um, you know, top half of the first round pick, you know, top 10 probably. And I said, versus a fourth or fifth round pick in Will Levis. Hyperbole, uh, I'm being hyperbolic there. Like, little, little, he was really, to me, like a third round pick. And now even, I'm solidified now after everything in the whole season that Anthony Richardson was a top five pick. He'd be the number one quarterback, if not for Bryce Young. Will Levis is a third-round pick. Like, I can see him going in the second round. And that's what's going to happen. And it's okay. The number one thing is, hopefully, Will Levis goes to, just like Hendon Hooker, just like any of these quarterbacks, goes to an organization that actually will support them and isn't just making a selection willy-nilly. And they can say in the short term that they're making a selection because they really think that this guy is going to pan out and all this Sometimes you can tell based on who took them and also what they're looking to do with them, whether or not there's going to be success. So I hope you go someplace, young man, as well as you, Hendon Hooker, and all the rest of these guys. All right, that was me recapping the first round, my thoughts on each pick. Uh, again, follow me on Twitter. My handle is at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, and the number nine. And I will be covering the second and third round tonight uh, for... Chopping it up with CJ Podcast. Again, the first round recap show. This is Chris James signing off. Take care, folks. Enjoy the rest of the draft. And hopefully your team did what you wanted them to do. And if not, hopefully you can trust in uh, them because of what they've done in the past. If not, I'm sorry for you. Keep being a fan, though. Goodbye.